You're listening to You Play A What, a podcast by a musician for musicians. My name is Vincent and I play the euphonium. Join me as I sit down with successful musicians to talk about their specialization, inspirations, and career developments. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to episode 60 of You Play A What. I hope all of you are well. This week, I'm joined by Jonathan Shin, pianist, composer, hardcore bookworm, and a fantastic guest. And off the back of our NTP 2.0, Jonathan's work, the 1819 Suite, commissioned by Resound Collective, has been produced with beautiful illustrations and text, and it is available on the Glasshouse website for a limited time. Not to be confused with the cafe, of course. All links to this will be provided in the show notes if you'd like to find out more. Apart from speaking about the creative process behind the 1819 Suite, Jonathan and I spoke about pursuing his doctoral studies remotely, developing his people-centric approach to music and life in general, his relationship with practice, piano, and the cane, his tips for getting into improvisation, composing fast music versus slow music, who are the Lorong boys and what do they do, creating music that represents the personality of the group, their approach to mentorship as ensemble in residence at the Yongsuto Conservatory, writing text and music for operas and musicals, and his fiction reading list recommendation for everyone. But enough from me now. Please enjoy this episode of You Play A What? with Jonathan. My guest today is Jonathan Shin. Jonathan is a multiple award-winning pianist, sweeping the top prize for all four categories of the National Violin and Piano Competition. Jonathan is a founding member of the Lorong Voice, a Singaporean multi-genre ensemble, bringing the definition of boy band to a completely new level. Apart from performance, Jonathan is also an established composer. His work, The 1819 Suite, was commissioned and presented by Resound Collective as part of the Singapore Bicentennial Celebration in 2019. And in light of the celebration of Singapore's 56th National Day, the piece has been produced by Chamber Music and Arts Singapore with the inclusion of beautiful illustration and text for you to enjoy the music at a deeper level. This is available at the Glasshouse website with free access for a limited time from 7th August to 19th September. The piece will still be available on the Glasshouse after 19th September through their membership subscription. The Glasshouse is offering a National Day discount of 20% off the first month of subscription with the code NATIONALDAY20. Don't worry, there's a lot of information here. All links and information will be provided in the show notes if you want to know more. And I hope he's still with me. Welcome to the show, Jonathan. How are you doing today? Good. Thank you so much for having me, Vincent. I'm not going to pay all you for anything you just said, so you're very nice. <laughs> Thank right. you. Yeah. So uh, this is a slightly extended version of introduction. Usually, it's uh, a little bit shorter, but yeah, just ha- sure. happy to to share the work uh, that the rest of the other groups. Thank you. Thank you. And no, thank you so much for taking time out to speak to me on this rather beautiful Sunday. Oh, it is. Yeah. And I look forward to speaking to you, obviously, and understanding your creative process music making philosophies and career developments 
Well, I'm happy to answer any questions. <laughs> yeah. So, of course, I understand that you are in the midst of your doctoral studies at the Peabody Conservatory at the moment, and you're here in Singapore, and you're doing your studies kind of remotely. Mm-hmm. This is interesting in a way, and how, how has it been for you so far in this past year? I mean, it'll be, of course, uh, if not for COVID, you know, I'll, I'll be there. Uh, I'll be very, very there. I'll be, you know, drinking coffee and like hanging out with my friends in the library, um, working on my dissertation. But of course, uh, th- there's always, you know, pros and cons in every situation. Uh, but in this case, you know, it's lovely to come back and see, you know, be close to family, you know, especially families getting old, you know, just be close at hand to them. And what a blessing we have Zoom. Um, so I can still meet up my professors and touch base once in a while. Um, yeah, I mean, everything else, I mean, I, I'm really glad. I've been very lucky during this pandemic s- season. Um, I've been, you know, getting a healthy dose of work, being able to uh, play a lot of music with my friends, uh, being able to write for people I love to write for. And yeah, being just able to like, you know, play classical or jazz or pop, you know, work with singers here. Um, yeah, so I've been, everything considered, very, very lucky um, during this last period. Right. And has this change kind of distorted your initial plans when you went into your doctoral studies, the expectations that you had and the work that you foresee yourself getting after the course? Has that changed or has that more or less still, you just kind of feel like you're on course on uh, what you want to achieve? Absolutely. I mean, that's a really, really good question. Um, You know, I, I went in thinking, oh, I'll be here for the next, uh, I went to Peabody thinking I'll be here for the next four, five years, you know, um, and just absorbing everything. I was planning to do road trips, um, have my lovely Sopranos drive me around for competitions. Um, and, you know, just, I was starting to explore DC. I was supposed, I was starting to, you know, page turn and then play for some myself and just like really be involved in the scene um, as I had been in Boston. Um, and actually, my the premiere of my first chamber operator was going to happen and like just one week before uh it was going to premiere it got cancelled it got like you know because of covid and so that makes me wonder oh you know having say my first boston globe review you know how would that be like um we can always spend a lot of time thinking about these sort of things but i'm again just glad that you know i'm still alive um i kind of i made it out of there you know, of America when the case was booming. And then, you know, even though I came back here and then got dengue. All right. <laughs> which okay. all my friends were not surprised because they know my luck. They right. absolutely know my luck. <laughs> right. They're just laughing. Oh, John Shin, of course. Right. Out of the frying pan into the fire. <laughs> you know, so, um, Beautiful. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, yeah, that's where I am. Okay, okay. And uh, yeah, it, it's such a shame, like you said, it, because it's so near. It's one week before the premiere and then everything yeah. got caught off. Uh, do we have a... A date now for for it to be programmed again, or is it kind of being put to the sideline at the moment, and you're just waiting on news? It's sideline at the moment, but actually, I'm kind of thinking I would love to. Well, it's a it's a 11, 12 minute opera, and uh, opera is the next thing that I really want to explore. Mm. Um, I've written uh, in twenty twenty, I wrote I, I don't know how, but three chamber operas, um, based on different. One was a American text on Hamlet, uh like a joke, a comedy. Okay, right. And I, that's absolutely my kind of thing. And then w- two here, I worked with uh, the incredible poets, uh, Felix Chong and Theophilus Quack, who was uh, my string ensemble mate in Raffles, uh, Theophilus. Uh, 
So I worked with them and then wrote two operas, um, but none of them have been actually performed. So I've never actually workshop an opera. I, I haven't actually known like, oh, this is taking way too much time. I need to, you know, turn up the ante. I need to turn up the fire here, more dramatic tension. So I don't know yet. Um, but in the future, I'm hoping I'll put together all these little dramatic uh, musical dramas that I've put together in a show, in a one-hour show. And uh, hopefully reach out to Wild Rice. <clears throat> <laughs> they like to take on yeah. you know hosting my opera sounds yeah. amazing sounds sounds like Thank you. something that's really fun you know like starting away from campus as much as we we can do it now as especially when when it comes to composition yeah the, the interactions can be done remotely but the fact that mm. we are away from campus seems to be uh, taking something away from us in a way right because mm. you, when we when we pay the fees and we get enrolled into the school we want to have that whole experience, not just our interaction with our mentors. We are uh, working with colleagues. We are working with, you know, different artists that's coming into the schools and, and things like that. There's a lot more opportunities there. Do you feel like at this moment in time, it feels a little bit like Coursera, but DMA, right? But full fees in a way, you know? Damn, damn, yeah. you're asking like, oh, all these questions. <laughs> yeah, of course, I'm missing the energy, the smiles, the love in the room the electricity, you know, you're not getting that because when you're there and you look at someone, maybe it's the oboe player, just that quick breath that they take before they play, mm. you know, it, it's, I guess that's what you're paying for. Like that spark, that sort of, uh, oh, that joie de vivre, you know, that sort of like living in the room, that sort of happiness to be make, playing a Mark Applebaum piece or like counting 7-8 together yeah. uh, like, <laughs> and then switch to 3-16, you yeah, know, it's yeah. like, oh, you know, well, it, it, yeah, and of course now it's difficult. Uh, at the start, oh my gosh, was it horrendous? Mm. Like we were all trying to like go with click tracks, mm. and then like the click tracks would go like, <laughs> and then you're like, um, okay, no. like but I, if yeah. you know if I you know say my 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 buddy Jabat, he's now in Kuala Lumpur, you know if Jabat Keep was there conducting, you know, it's so much more fun, you yeah. know, and I'm like tapping the piano strings, and we're all like getting it right. Mm, absolutely. Um, so I've now used Cosera, but I, I think. Yeah, it's a bit of a simulacrum of that. Mm. It's like, a, uh, it's, uh, I don't mind it. I, I always think, I always think like, could I be in a worse situation? Yes, I could. Mm. You know, am I, you know, I'm not, I have no family to, I, well, I have family, but I have no kids to take care of or I have no, heck, I have no kids to throw over walls to pass to, or to like soldiers, you know. So, you know, I don't have struggles. You know, I my belongings are safe with me. I have my passport. I have a home. I am not health compromised. Not so much. You know, it's getting tougher as yes. I get older. But like, <laughs> you know, we're pretty damn. You know, you can bleep this out. But yeah. like, lucky. Yeah. You know, for all sure. things considered. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Recently, I I heard one of this panel discussion for uh, CIFA that you were on mm. with a bunch of uh, really uh, fantastic musicians. Oh, yeah. And Oof. towards the end of the the discussion, you mentioned that a lot of your approach to music making is uh, people-centric. Mm. So I'm interested to ask you, because reading from your profile, you've gained uh, so much uh, accolades at a young age as a pianist, right? Mm. Uh, and when you do that, you perform by yourself. You're on stage mm. yourself, spotlights all on you, you are the, the main focus and you are the attention. How did you start to have this 
mindset shift to think more about collaborating with other people and to make your music making more people-centric. Was this always within yourself or did you have to develop that over time? Well, I need to be asking you how are you asking your good questions? Like, <laughs> how are you developing such good questions to ask? I, well, thanks for doing the research, firstly. Right. It's always nice to like talk to someone who's like, oh, I've heard this podcast. I'm like, oh my God, what the f- did I say? <laughs> um, right. um, yeah, people-centricness. I think what, what happened was that uh, well, maybe when I was 13, 14, uh, and when I actually, when I entered YST, I like to knock on other studios when I hear people practicing. And I would like to go in and say, hey, can I read this piece of you? Mm. Um, so I'll go into every room and I'll do that. Um, and I think you can ask my friends. I, I think they'll remember. Like, I was, my sight reading was very bad at the start. But so there was like two-fold benefits or three-fold or five-fold. I don't know. Like knocking, having the thick skin to knock and say like, I love the way you're doing this. Can I play this piece with you? Um, and so I think that's how I got my whole chamber experience. Yeah, just playing with all these traps. Yeah, and then, you know, singing. Uh, the voice has always been one of my favorite instruments to play with. And so I had experience with that in RI when I accompanied some of my singer friends who were in the choir. You know, I think uh, the key to a good life, a happy life, is good friends. Um, and yeah, as you get older, friendships uh, you know, there's a lot of research on how friendships are what make you happy in general. Having good friendships are uh, more, almost more important than a good spouse, actually. Mm. Um, and I guess there's a parallelism in this, you know, playing with friends and having a happy working relationship, which is why I'm always like, in that sense, very people-centric. Right. You know, when I turn towards composition, I'm like, oh, I want to write for Wei En. Like, he's my countertenor friend. Mm. I love his voice. And so my first song cycle was for him. Um, when I'm sitting down, I'm like, oh, how does say patient play mm. this line? You know, I'll write with that in mind, mm. you know, or how does Samuel Poir, mm. you know, hold this long note? How does Rit hold this long note? Yeah. You know, so all these little things, it's not new, right? Like mm. uh, Frank, Caesar Frank wrote his sonata, I'm sure, with uh, Yisai in mind. Like, oh, how Yisai's bow drops on the string, all these little things. Um, yeah. That's with the people-centricness. Mm. So you've never considered, say, like a career as a concert pianist as you develop in your formative years? It started, of course, I mean, uh, we were th- I was thinking, oh, I was going to be a concert pianist, you know. Um, but then I'm, I think, I mean, on the way, I was like, I still want to be a concert pianist. Don't get me wrong. Mm. Like I, I, and I still feel myself to be, you know, because I'm planning to keep repertoire, like concertos. I have a bunch of concertos. Mm-hmm. And in next year, also, I feel like uh, I'm planning to learn like five concertos to put in the bag. You know, mm. A bit of Saint Sons, a bit of Beethoven, Rachman, maybe. Um, so that's still not, that's not by any means like left behind. Mm. Um, I'm very, I'm a huge fan of concertos. I love playing concertos. Again, maybe it's just not being alone on stage and just being able to smile at the horn player, you know, while you're playing a line. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it it re- it's very real for me. It's a very happy thing, uh, and I mean that with capital letter H. Right. Yeah. Sure. And uh, of course, you've led us into your your thought process regarding how this people centric approach kind of affects your personal life as well. Is there any other things that you like to add about this particular way of thinking? with regards to music making or just life in general? I feel like my philosophy has been, um, 
well, a few philosophies and they might change with the weather. Um, <laughs> and my friends know that. They're always laughing about, oh my God, you are a principless man. I'm like, I know, I just go with what makes you happy. Right, at um, the moment, which, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What, what makes you happy? Like what yeah. makes my friends happy? Uh, right, I'll right. go with that. Right. Um, but, well, I'm, I'm not one to like distill the best philosophies out there. Um, I, I just know that I'm a Epicurean in that way. I, I have a lot of pleasure and uh you know sitting down with friends have a good johnny walker and you know play through pulang mm. you know like that that is the sort of evening and i look always look forward to these perfect evenings um and you know when my friends hearing this podcast i'm sure they know what kind of evenings i'm talking about you know just <laughs> where we can talk about anything books music you know politics yeah george washington sure you know whatever mm. like i that's the sort of evening I really enjoy, you know, with sharing and mm. I love listening. My God, people have the most interesting stories. Like you just sit there and nod your head a little bit and they'll tell you everything. I, I just love that part of living. Yeah. Um, That's actually what's happening yeah. now, isn't it? I just nod along and then you just keep going. Yeah, that- yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Now, now it's the reverse. Yeah. <laughs> this guy knows all my tricks. <laughs> no, no, no. But yeah, I think that there's this thing about creating connections with people that is mm-hmm. um, very enjoyable. I think, and of course, you need to have an interest in other people's lives. You need to, yes. uh, or what they have to share and what they bring to the table. And then yeah. uh, we, we just go into this constant rethinking mode, right? Rather than just saying that, oh no, I don't, I just don't agree with you. But we, we have to kind of take that in and then we kind yeah. of process that and we rethink about how they think and how we think. Why is it different? And, and it makes us, you know, refine our thought process, isn't it? I, I love that. I mean, I love the fact that you said creating connections and for me also like inviting possibilities of collaboration, mm. like sort of like having that sort of magic of anything could happen. Yeah. I think people, I would, I always, when someone asks me what my hobby is, I feel like people are my hobby. Mm. Like, I don't know how, you know, mm. just understanding people and understanding the stories and what makes them tick. Because you, I think that's the beautiful part about life, you know, being a human being and Yeah. And music is only music. Yeah. I always say that. Like, it never killed anybody. Like, Hindemith never killed anyone. So, uh, well, Hindemith's we don't music. know. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> I not not his from music. his music, maybe. But <laughs> I know, but like, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I know what you mean. When I work together, yeah. it's like, if you screw up, it's fine. It's only music. Yeah. It really is only music. Mm. You know, the fact that we have four limbs here and we're talking to each other, it's like such a beautiful thing already. Without going into too much details, were there moments where you went into a particular collaboration, you know, I, I from speaking to you, just this first 20 minutes or so, you're like, you know, you're so positive about everything you and, and things like that. Were there any collaborations that kind of fell flat that did not meet your expectation or what you envisioned? Damn. Asking the critical questions <laughs> again. Yeah, but we don't have to go into details, but you can just like... Sure, yeah. sure, sure. Like what happened throughout the process? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, for me... It will be. Lo- it's always lovely to work with people with a great depth who come to the table with a great depth of uh, imagination, and so that's for me. It's imagination and technique, right? Whether you can imagine the final sound in your inner ear, you know what kind, of, what kind of A flat will you be delivering first, and then whether you have the technique to do it, you know. Uh, and for me, things fall flat. I mean, they never really fall flat because I always find a positive side to everything. I always find that, oh my God, you know, like, okay, it didn't work out, but holy shit, you're such a wonderful human being. Mm. 
like who gives a shit <laughs> right. like it's just Brahms you know um, <laughs> right okay but if you can't okay not counting is my big bugaboo mm. like not being able to count like if someone can't count that usually like kind of kills me uh, it kills the vibe a bit okay you know it, it, it's a dotted here mm. you know it's a double dotted you want to pay attention to that sort of stuff you know mm. um, and maybe that analism is a bit coming from you know my who are the gods that I've learned from right the okay. gods whatever yeah. I mean my, my, my teachers you know and picking that sort of uh, these are the rules of the tennis game yeah you know okay. this is a double dot the line is drawn here you can't the ball has to cross that net mm. you know if you follow all these rules, then the magic will happen. Like, the magic can happen. Mm. Um, so, I would say those that fall flat often are like, oh, we're still doing policeman work. Mm. You know, okay. your rhythm is wrong here. Look, it says P here. Let's try P, you know. Um, then things start happening when we start talking about, oh, what kind of piano is it? Mm. Is it a, a salty oyster piano? Or is it a, you know, does it have a bit of pepper in it? Right. Is it effervescent? Does it fizzle? You know, like, these are the sort of things I want to talk about mm. instead of, like, one, two, three, and, uh, uh, you okay. know, I, that, those collaborations kill me. Sure. Yeah. I understand. Bring us back to how you got acquainted with music, how things developed to where you are now. And, yeah, yeah let's go. Um, caning. <laughs> <laughs> what? Well, yeah. what, what no, a beautiful you, way you to start. I like it? You think I like it? Me? Fuck no. Right. I'd rather be sleeping at home. No, but anyway. Yeah. Um, am I the first guest to use the effort? I think so. Yes, I think all, yes. your guests very, <laughs> all your guests are like, just like, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, sorry, no, no. not to expert any of them. They're oh, all good. wonderful people. Yeah. I'm just saying, um, uh, yeah, I was forced into it. Um, and I remember having to sit two hours every day at a piano with an advocate of 100 beats. Mm. And you know, my late mom would have a cane beside me, and I play do mi fa so la so mi re fa so la ti la so mi so la ti do la fa so la ti re like for like one hour, mm. um, and so it was torturous, very 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 torturous, um, the whole process. But then I think by twelve, I was like, oh, I'm kind of shit at everything else. <laughs> I guess I have to do music then. Uh, it's like music seems to be the only thing that you know I, I mean, it's instinctive for me. Right. It's just like um, I, I started my day, you know, fine. Once 92.4 came on, every nerve was firing. Mm. Of course, I didn't know it back then. It's all retrospective. But like, I was starting to get awareness that you know everything was moving. Um, and then I think I sort of learned, like looking at how other people reacted to music, I picked them up. Um, and I often get this little aspersion casted at me. I'm like, my, you know, I have people going like, you should be an actor instead of a pianist. Um, uh, this was after a competition. I did uh, MPVC. Uh, I won third prize for playing Mozart. Mm. And the judge came to me afterwards. He was like, I don't think he was being ironic. I think he unironically said that I think you should be an actor. Like, you know, um, he didn't say you shouldn't be a pianist, but he said I should be an actor, um, which has got me thinking. I'm just, it's just my default. Like, it's just limbic, you know. It, mm. It's a lizard brain of mine. Like, it's not like I'm thinking like, ooh, this is a half diminished second inversion this face I need to put on. No, I just immediately scrunch up. You know, it's like if you put like right. some lemon in my okay. mouth, you know, that's how it tastes like to yeah. me. Um, so I think my relationship with music is like super automatic. Um, and then the rest that informs it are like friendships and like teachers and coaching and um, listening, a lot of listening, a lot of critical listening. Right. Um, yeah. At which point do you start exploring composition? 
so I've always been improvising, but I officially started uh, when I was so I'm 28, turning 29. I started around 23. Mm, okay. Yeah, I started composing at 23, um, like more seriously. Um, but I've always been improvising before that. Um, but the notes that I first put down, like first commissions, yeah, 23. I was like, ooh. Um, writing for Wayan, writing a musical for NUS, Raffles Hall. Mm. Um, you know, I wrote my, I wrote my own lyrics. I uh, wrote the songs, and that was like my first um, foray into composition seriously. Right, yeah, and for sure, I want to speak a little bit more with you about how you came up with the words and the the sort of text side of things when uh, in your composition a little bit later. And okay, I, I get the the, the caning and the, the very strict regimental starts. Uh, to, to your <laughs> musical uh, development you, get musical you really get it? Uh, you get not, it? not quite not quite but I, I can I can visualize it I think <laughs> yeah. Go on. yeah and uh, were there any like negative feelings towards piano playing even towards the later stage of a development did you at any point feel like oh, just like starting to play the piano you're just like oh, there's, there's so so much like emotional baggage or anything that goes good, along. Good question. Yeah. I've been lucky that that never happened. I've always been enchanted. Mm. Um, I've always been uh, beguiled by the sound of the piano. Um, so I've never had a point where, you know, the negative stuff overwhelmed the sort of um, magic that I had with the, you know, with this piano. Um, yeah, so I've been very lucky, even though, you know, even when it got to very, like, in my year four, year three in YST, um, you know, I, I was working on Chopin Piano Sonata number three and I was like, you know, I think you can generally tell that I'm very cavalier and flippant about some things, you know. I just didn't know how serious Chopin Sonata number three was, you know, and just being like under a lot of pressure, putting together the repertoire and, you know, at that time I was having a tough time with my teacher mm. um, and mind you, I, I love him. I, I love him to bits and I, I I think his word is Bible. Like for me, his word is the Bible. Um, it's a bit blasphemous, but... Right. Um, even throughout then I still had a relationship you know I was working in jazz I was doing jazz piano I was like exploring that mm. so it never it never really uh, pulled me away from it mm. yeah. yeah thank goodness why is it that uh, classically trained musicians have such a hard time improvising I don't have the full answer to it but I feel like because we're so western score based mm. uh, you know the western self thinks of like, at least the white yeah. uh, side of things mm. like oh everything is derived from the score and it doesn't help them in Asia and that whole, like, the score is canon, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and then we, kids don't get the chance or at least they're clamped down, you know, how Picasso said, you know, even though, even that asshole had good things to say. Picasso <laughs> said, um, uh, kids are always, they start out as artists, right? And then the artists get squeezed out of them. I just think maybe kids don't have the chance to, like, these kids here don't have the chance to muck around. Mm. You know, um, everything is structured. Everything is uh, yeah. Everything's like you know, I remember curriculum. playing my improvisations, and my dad was like, "That shit, just go back to playing." You know, uh, Mozart. Just please things. go back to playing Mozart. Right. Exactly. Okay. Um, I think that might be why. Um, and in general, it's not encouraged in school. I mean, we don't talk about it. Like mm. I do a lot of classical improvising. Um, and thankfully, like Trin has just been, you know, uh, Lee Trin at the Candlelight has been like talking about it, preluding, and I think that's freaking amazing because she's using her platform to like talk about it mm. um and for me it's like 
Yeah, that, that's something I, I often do a four note improv thing at cocktail parties. Right. Um, if someone gives me four notes, you know, I improvise a, a prelude, a mazurka, a Norton, a minuet on it. Mm. Um, I think kids should improvise and kids should dare to, and it's okay. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So if somebody was to say wanting to get into improvising, what is step one? You got to pay me for this. You man, gonna- <laughs> this uh, um, uh, man, I should have prepared for these. Because like, I've always been dreaming of like a time when I can share. And now the time is here. Right. I'm just like... Oh, but no worries. Um, we, we can do a part two at some point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Start with one note. Start with any note. Maybe C sharp. And be free with... So set that parameter. Mm. Parameter. That C sharp. And then be free with how you play that C sharp. Be as... I mean, it sounds very trite, but... Sing with that C sharp, you know, whether it's maybe this, mm. it's like, mm. you know, like, and then you soon can expand, give yourself two notes, you know, maybe give, give, you give me a note. Uh, F. So. You know, and sort of start creating a structure around it. So improvisation is finding things that people can recognize and then finding things to extemporize. Right. So right, if you if you have a set pattern that comes back later, mm. it's nice, okay. you know. Um, so I think that's where you start out. Limit yourself with pitch, and then work around dynamics and all that. Right. I mean, it all sounds very like ugh, thick, thick, <laughs> thick, you know. But I mean, there's no hard and fast way to do it. Yep. Some people do it by year. They have great years, you know, and they're lucky. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think a lot of the creative work comes with, like you said, there are a lot of parameters and structure based around it yes yeah it's yes. Uh, a, a good improvisation is not as free as someone imagined like yeah no. right there are there are no. thought process that's constantly it's just they're not going on to the the piano or the instrument just like banging out notes randomly yes. and saying that that's improvisation right i i'm gonna say this i, I my, my my friend rit told me about this richie he's like i don't think improvisation should be called that it should be spontaneous composition i'm like yes yeah mm. Absolutely. It's spontaneous composition. Because um, you don't just bang, you're right. Mm. You have to like know the rules, you know. Mm. Things got to make yeah. sense, right? And, and, exactly. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're going to talk about the 1819 suite now. And I'm and sure. am I call, calling that correctly? I yeah. just took it as 1812 Overture, 1819 suite. 1819 yeah. is fine. Just yeah. don't call it 1819. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So uh, talk us through this piece that, that you've composed. And it's divided into six movements, if I'm not wrong. Yeah. And yeah. talk us through how you try to pick or what are the important milestones within this 200 years that you pick to showcase in this piece of music? Uh, that was, that's a good, good, great question. I mean, the so first thing I did was to do research. Um, I bought this book called 700 Years of Singapore History. Um, and it only just came out the previous year. Mm. Um at 2018 I think um, and so I bought that at Changi Airport before I went back to the US uh, I had visited quickly and then I did my reading on the plane and I was picking up oh there is a history before Stanford mm. Stanford your friend uh. Stanford um, yeah there was like history Wait, before in his school so it's okay I think and, you have, yeah, you have the right okay. to call him that that's fine I wonder what his middle name is I think it's Charles right. but I, I'm not sure yeah, um, yeah. So I thought, okay, that's one thing we need to talk about. This sort of like 
I mean, that was the port. It was very busy before Raffles came already. Um, but I decided to portray it with a sort of like idyllicness, a sort of like a gentleness. Um, and then, of course, there's Raffles coming. And then, of course, for me, we are all, we are a country of migrants. We're a city of migrants, you know. So it's very important for me to show like all these people coming in, you know, from overseas. Then the fourth movement is, of course, a very dark spot, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when, you know, the the Axis powers invaded um, and Japan came down. Yep. So that for me, of course, pivotal moment. Mm-hmm. And then um, the healing process, the, the dark period five. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last one, of course, is the recovery. Like mm-hmm. the, the sort of, you know, um, modern sound. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I thought it fit nicely, six movements. And of course, there's a homage to the Baroque suite. Mm. I'm not gonna lie, yeah. you know, for me it's always about, you know, paying homage to my predecessors. Mm. So it was kind of nice to fit in all in. Yeah. yeah. When we did this bicentennial celebration thing, I think that were for me there was a part of me that was like wondering, mm, will, we, will we just end up celebrating colonialism? Will, mm. you know, would it be like uh you know, a, a not complete reflection of the yes. last two hundred years? Questions. Yeah. So uh, like what you said, it's it's really good because we have to acknowledge that they did yeah. help develop the country up to a certain level and yeah. we have to uh, give homage to that, absolutely. Mm. But to then not go <laughs> too far to completely yeah. celebrate that. So I think, yeah. yeah. And, and I thought in your piece, what, what was really nice is that it, it had all these different elements in it. It was not just like, oh, this is like, you know, the, the colonialization of Singapore was like the thing you know yeah. there were a lot of other uh, events that people need to know like you said the the dark times like the war and yeah. you know recovery and then now we are developing and you know our country we're constantly just doing more yeah. developing and developing right so i thought yeah i thought in general i, I really like the, the structure of the of the entire suite actually thank you yeah. thank you to to ask a more kind of simple question quicker music slower music which comes more natural to you? Is it more idea-based or is it more kind of like tempo-based? That's really... Oh, man. Do you ask that to a lot of composers? It's good. <laughs> Sometimes. You, you've, in, Sometimes. you've interviewed yeah. composers on this on the site, yeah? Yes. Yeah, definitely. Um, do, do they, what, what are their answers to this? Like, do they have... like? Do they talk about... I mean, are they like faster music is my thing? Like, do they have one? Uh, no, not really. Yeah, but usually I, I don't think I've asked this specific question. I think what I usually I ask more about like writer's block and them getting over things like that, right. and how they they develop idea and their their creative process, and then just let them run with their creative process. Right, right. Yeah. So yeah, it really depends. I mean, it, like if I'm writing a thing that needs, I've I think I only realized how to write slow recently. I'm a huge fan of fast music. My music has always been like, I think. Um, I'm very close to the French, at least the, the French music in 1930s, um, 1940s. Um, I feel very, uh, uh, I aim for a lot of uh, Elan, like uh, E-L-A-N, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing mm-hmm. that right. Um, a lot of charm and grace and like elegance. Like That's what I try to aim for in my music. Um, I have not, and like basically being a divertissimo, like just a bonbon, uh-huh. just to be enjoyed and like amused. Right. And that's it. Nothing to deep think about my music. Mm. Um, but slow music, I've only recently like, oh, it's okay to take time. It's okay to let the notes breathe. Mm. Um, so I would say faster music comes 
better for me, like easier for me. Right. And slower music, I've only started just getting a grasp of it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Is there something about slower music that, you know, when you write it out, perhaps it is not as florid as faster music that you feel like maybe I should be doing more? Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely, yes. I think that young, immature side of me is like, oh, need to have something happen here. <laughs> like, there is nothing happening, you know. Mm. But like, audiences, yeah, audiences are bloody forgiving. Right. You know, you can hold a timid, like, and just hold it there. And they will bathe in it, you know. But it's something that I don't trust myself, right? I'm like, oh my god. One call in the E-flat, like, of course it will give, of course audiences will buy it, but you're not sure. Um, and and I think that's, for me, like, yeah, I'm starting to learn, mm. like, oh, it's okay. Mm. Don't need to have so many things going on all the right. time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now, throughout your creative process, the initial part of writing this piece, and now that, obviously, uh, I don't think you reworked the music, but they added additional elements to, the, to your music. What are some of the, the emotions that, that went through the first stage, and then now at this second stage, seeing that your work is now tying up with other elements, are there particular emotions that, that you felt throughout this process? So when I wrote this, I, I'm always thinking of dance, like ballet. You know, this would, I think this will work just as well as a ballet. Um, and I think I wrote that in mind almost. You know, and to see like the text coming together and picture coming together felt really wholesome. Like in, in a way like, oh, it just came to a complete, you know, it's a nice circle. I mean, it could form other circles of other genres. Mm. Um, but I thought this was a very nice way to present. And the artwork is just gorgeous. Absolutely. Like, the text was... I Man, this uh, Sophia, just fantastic. Like, just the way she sweeps the whole thing around the text, right? Mm. And how everything looks still in conjunction. The perspective that she puts, um, whether it's a lake, whether it's the Singapore River, or whether it's the... Well, it's just so well done, and I love the color palettes. Um, text is well written, absolutely my favorite thing, you know, well written text. Mm. Um, and so I'm just super honored, lah. I mean, mm. you know, yeah, like when the work has another life, takes on another life. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think maybe maybe sometimes as musicians, we feel like uh, just by performing music itself, it's uh, powerful enough. For the, for the mm. audience. And I, I would say that to a certain extent, that might be true. But when we are open to opening, uh, or we are open to working with other artists or other people to collaborate, to right. bring our work to another level, uh, we should be absolutely open to that and not yep. right, turn that away. Or yeah, It's a weird exactly. thing, right? Because then, you know, sometimes we feel like, uh, we, now my music is like not engaging enough, therefore I need pictures, or my music is not engaging enough, therefore I need right. all these things, which I think is kind of rubbish. I mean, yeah. Because not everybody yep. has classical music training. Sometimes people would love to understand a little bit more. A lot of things yep. that, you know, someone who is musically trained, when they're listening to a piece, they don't, you know, we can listen and we can catch certain things that are interesting, but to yeah. to another person, that might be just sounds. Yeah. That, just posh. Exactly, yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I, yeah, I mean, I don't see that as a problem. And I think it's a good thing that yeah, your, mm -hmm. your work gets to have this, like, almost a second life, right? Because, mm -hmm. honestly, writing a work uh, for a bicentennial celebration is not going to be played super often because once the celebration is over, 
then that's it, right? But the fact that yeah. now that this has been taken out again, maybe you aim for 250, maybe aim for 300, I don't know. Yeah. yeah but- it, it's <laughs> I was just thinking, oh man, the, uh, 100 years from now, they're going to commission some other young chap or chaplet Chap- to write, <laughs> I mean, chaplet, yeah. uh, to write a, you know, a bicentennial piece, hopefully a chaplet. Right. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I wonder, like, they're going to put in, like, more movements, like, um, uh, this COVID period, you know, yeah, and then yeah. after that, whatever. It's, exactly. I mean, we won't be around to see it. I, I won't be around to see it, yeah. for sure. Um, but it's just fascinating to think, oh, mm. oh what, 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 what might be? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And now, r- writing for this group, Resound Collective, of course, mm-hmm. they run as a chamber orchestra with no conductor. Uh, they have a leader that probably is leading the, the rehearsals. How did that inform your compositional process at all? Like how yeah. you structure the music because there's no com- composer there. So maybe certain... Conductor, yeah. Uh, yeah, so there's no, sorry. There's no That's conductor fine, yeah. there. Uh, you have to anchor certain like rhythms or pulse to different sections and things like that. That's, that's a great question. Um, I, I, you know, I, when I got a commission, I just immediately went to listen to all of their recordings just to see the style mm. um, and the pieces that they chose um, and how the concert master would have to interact. Um, so that was very, very far back in my mind when I wrote it. I mean, I actually didn't really take into account the fifth movement especially. It's like, um, it's devilishly hard when there's no conductor. Um, and th- those guys pull it off like, impeccably mm. i mean of course it's like knowing the ensembleness needs to be there because some of it's aleatoric i think well i'm not sure i can't remember right. if some of them was, was some of those aleatoric but like it worked out very well in the end i mean ike was just amazing at like giving the you know even though he was bowing uh very great at just giving where the downbeats were where the syncopations are <clears throat> you know um and yeah i it was just lovely. I remember I was in the orchestra hall and YC listening to them. I was just like, the first rehearsal, I'm just like, oh my God. Mm. And I remember having goosebumps because I was like, the, just the energy like in the room, the upness of everything. Right. You know? Um, yeah. So I have no official take on whether we've conducted better or without, you know, mm. but those guys played like an ensemble. Yeah. Right. That's great. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I can imagine that that can be sometimes uh, difficult, right? So if you pull off something that is like rhythmically very, very intricate or you write yeah, something, then, then yeah, yeah, that could like cause a lot of... Um, More rehearsal time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Hmm. Cool. Now, let's talk about Lorong Boys. Mm-hmm. Obviously, uh, a group that you are very passionate about, right? So you found it. Oh, this yeah, I love group. them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, tell us more. Who are the Long Boys? How did the group come about? So we are in a little bit of a transition, um, but mostly the core members are still the same. Uh, we came about just after we were on the same jazz class and we all liked each other's characters, uh, each other's personalities, and we decided to go jam. We started to join a competition for fun, mm. uh, rehearse, you know, and then we took things from there. You know, we got first prize, which was ironic because like, Third prize was like one person. Second prize was two people. Uh, I was a two people team, mm-hmm. and the third uh, and first prize was six people. So, in fact, the third prize got more money uh. than all of us <laughs> won the first prize. Okay. It was it was just like oh okay. Right. Um, but yeah, it's been seven years. 
seven years since we started, seven to eight years. My God, it just feels like yesterday because like these guys are just, we're still very young, I feel like. I mean, it's the energy in our eyes. Mm. Um, and we're starting to understand, I think we're only starting to musically, only starting to musically like be able to gel because, you know, we're all away, different components were away at different times. Yep. And we only just had time to settle our sound down and find out where we fit in the texture. Mm. Um, so, you know, it's a blend of classical and jazz. And I mean, the funny thing is, <laughs> um, I'm not going to go into names, but like our sense, I mean, and the boys hearing this will know, like our sense of humor are very different. Okay. <laughs> um, what a certain person finds is musically funny. What two people find musically funny is very, very unfunny to someone else. Oh, you know, right. so... And it sounds wrong. It's like your appetite for dissonance. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Maybe the two particular people just enjoy Vares and like Boulez more, while the other person just enjoys Duke Ellington more. So suddenly E flat major cannot, E major can't go with A flat. All right. You know. <laughs> okay. um, whereas to our years, it's like, oh, it's just out. Yeah. As in, we're playing out of the yeah. harmony and then we'll come back yeah, in. Just let it and, crunch and, and things like that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so, you know, there are little things like that that are, again, it's fun to talk about. To have the chance to even laugh about these things, how lucky are we? Like, to go into a studio and go like, oh my god, you play an E major, you are a dick. <laughs> like, it's like, people are out there, you know, finding work. I, I know I know how lucky we are. Yeah. So, and we still have gigs, and we still get to, you know, play a lot together. In fact, they're having a show tonight, which I can't go oh. to because uh, I'm watching uh, an opera. Okay. Um, at Wild Rice. I see. Yeah. Um, and... Yeah, I'll pop by as a listener. So mm, yeah. Okay. So um I, I with me, I, I've always seen Long Boys as a group that is that has a very clear identity, right? I, I look at you guys, I know what you guys stand for, the type of music that you play and the uh the type of group it is and you should you should come to rehearsals and tell us what we are. We have no freaking <laughs> idea what we are. Like I yeah. think you must be the first person to have a clear identity of who we right. are. But I, okay, maybe not clear, but strong. Okay. Right. I think, yeah, the, of course, now that you, you've let the, the cat out of the bag, right? You've said that, you know, you, you guys don't really have a, a very clear identity yeah. of who, who you guys are. So so I guess the question would be like, what are, what are the things that you guys want to be and what are the things that you guys would not do? Well, I, I don't speak for the group. Yeah. And as for what we won't do, oh, uh, we, won't, yeah, I say, we won't not have fun. Okay. Right. Are there particular types of music that you're like, you know, or, uh, you know, if somebody asks you, asks you for a gig and then what, how would you define that you guys are not the right fit? That's a good question. In a way, I think all of us are generalists. Mm. I mean, we're very happy to take on whatever is on board. Against the whole like, lack of principles. I think some of the group have more um, opinion on this. I'm generally like, whatever, I respect about Canon and D, you know, let, let's play F major over it the whole time and let the F sharp and D major clash mm. the whole day. You know, <laughs> okay. but I, I, I um yeah, I for me it's what what won't we do? God, I need to like talk to the boys. Right. Guys, are we such <laughs> uh, are we so, you know, are we Yeah, anyway. Yeah. A lot of words are in my head. Sure. Uh, none of them <laughs> pronounceable. Right, right. Um but I know that um 
whatever we bring onto the table, we're always finding ways to subvert it or tease it or make like sort of meta commentary on it within ourselves. So a lot like in our NDP, in our National Day performance at Outdoor Theatre, um, which is online, we are like laughing a lot on stage mm. because there's so much joy in hearing a motive from a previous gig brought back, you know, and like, and we're talking in music all the time. Um, and it looks so screwed up because the audience don't know what the hell we're laughing right, at. There's a lot of inside jokes going on within that song. There's so much inside right. jokes. And at some point, maybe I think we would do better to be more professional. <laughs> just like, just deliver on the goods. Um, but we always talk about, you know, oh my God, imagine if you could do this every day. Like, because mm. these guys are, they inspire me. My God, they inspire me so much. Like all of them individually, you know. Mm. Um, and I'm always like, I walk in the rehearsal room, I see their eyes, they're always like lit, mm. you know, um, and I hopefully they feel the same way from me. Um, but when I walk, I'm always like feeling amazing. Um, almost always, because I'm still learning. Yeah. I really am still in the process of learning how do I fit into a jazz trio? You know, how, what, when do I play the chords? Do I play on the downbeat? You know, you know, mm. when, when just, when do I? Yeah. Where yeah, we I'm fit still in learning. exactly, right? And it's a lot of... Classical pianists. Yeah, yeah go on, go ahead. Yeah, it, a lot of it is, you, you can say performance practice, is a feel rather than... Yes. Like, it, it's hard to define by text, like, or mathematically tell you, like, where exactly should you be placing this, yes. this particular entry or this particular beat. Exactly. Yeah. It, which we're used to in classical music. Mm. And in classical music, it, I freaking, when I started playing, I played so much. Because, again, I was afraid of silence. I didn't know what, like... Mm. you know playing just the right amount is perfect you know yeah. but it's a lifelong journey yeah. i've only just begun yeah yeah and i i like what you said about almost this recharge in uh spiritually in a way after rehearsals right yep. you could be coming off a long day rehearsals could run to really late but at the end of it you're physically tired but you know you're uh, spiritually you feel like you are fulfilled in a way Yep. Right through, very, through these rehearsals, yeah. Yep. And I think that that's the beauty of it when you have a, a chamber group, and within a group, if you can have moments like that and feelings like that towards each other and towards the process, I think you are you are definitely on the right track. Yeah. Yep. Thank yeah. you. Yep. Absolutely. And once you get a bit kind of like laborious, uh, you know, you're down a slippery slope if you're not careful. You, yes. Yeah, you've yes. Got to yes. Oh, you know it. You know quickly, it. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um. So. One of the things about the Laurent Boys is the music that you guys play are always original. Uh, no surprise in that. Uh, why is it important that you guys are always creating something bespoke to, to the Laurent Boys? Again, it's like, we want people to be able to tell, like, I mean, the instrumental uh, instrumentation is already quite different. Mm. They're, they're, we have no singers, you know. Um, and for me, we put our personality in the music. You know, I think you can tell which composition is which. Like, um, and even if you're playing covers, we like to have our own twist mm -hmm. with it. And I talked about you know meta commentary just now. Um, we like to include quotes from uh, my God, Rit loves putting quotes from French music. Um, and you often hear uh, Jacques Ibert's uh, flute concerto. You know, and I myself, whatever I I like listening and taking from the boys. You know, different motives. Mm. Um, yeah, I think it's just us being true to ourselves right? and just playing what 
you know, and sometimes that might, that actually, I think here, herein lies the rub. That goes again what goes against what the music needs. So it's like, what does the music need and what can you bring, you know? Sometimes too much. It is too much. You know, sometimes it's not what the music needs. Sometimes it just needs to breathe, you know? And then uh, a guy with me would just, ah, oh, I want to play something here because I'm excited. Right. You know, and then it screws up the moment for everyone, mm. you know? Um, and that's something that, again, like I said, it's a learning process. Um, but yeah, I'm, we would never play it as the score six. Um, we've never, actually. I think if you ask us what's the one thing, you know, the Lauren boys won't do, I don't think, I can't imagine us just not doing anything with a score that's given to us. We would have to do something with it. We want to speak out, you know, what we can do. Like, if we can turn this into a Roomba, you know, or if we can turn this into a waltz, yeah, we'll do it. Mm. And now that you guys are also the ensemble residents at, at the uh, YSD Conservatory, would you advise conventional chamber groups to also explore this aspect of music making, that is to create music that belongs to the group and showcases personality rather than always going for music that is ready, uh, ready available on the shelf? So the whole thing here is just inviting possibility. Mm. Like, if there's that option, there's always that option. If you guys just want to, you know, get the phrasing right for the Voshark, do it. Like, we will help you, you know, we'll help you get there. Mm. We'll help you hold, you know, which one has to, which note has to lead to what note. You know, we can talk in that Western discourse. But if you want to go crazy, we can show you methods to go crazy. Like, you know, the sort of, the little things. Mm. Oh, we can try repeating this note. Yeah. You know, if you, ways of taking the music away from the music. Um, so again, the possibility are always there. Always there and, I, and I enjoy that about the group. Mm. About not saying like, no, not immediately closing down. I think that's one of the most unattractive things about, uh, in a, in a personality mm. is like the uncritical no. Right. Yeah, the uncritical no. Like, I would rather you think about it and go like, oh, sure, but maybe that's not really for me because, mm. you know, rather than a straight out blanket no. Yeah, um, because I don't like it full stop and then yeah. that's it, right? Yeah. You know, I've never tried it before, mm. you know. Um, so anyway, yeah. that, that's where I am. Mm. Yeah. And I think that that's fantastic. I think the role of a mentor is to guide the student or bring the student where they want to be uh, or we, we try our yes. best to do that right uh, yes. it's very important i think that the students come to uh, us with a clear idea of what they would like to do or what they want to be or what they like to develop and then we guide mm -hmm. them along the way rather than yep. like i'm here like yeah i mean uh, what what do you want to play for a recital i don't know why don't you choose my recital rep for me it's like, no, no, Yikes. right? Yeah, like take, take charge of uh, your own learning. Yes. Take charge of, yes. like understand yourself a little bit better and yes. yeah, and, and all these things. And I think what, what you said, absolutely. absolutely. I think the our, our role is to just, uh, with our best ability, to just uh, bring them to where they want to be. Yeah, and also because, you know, we're at a young level, there might be a limit to the scope of imagination. Mm. They might not know you know, I've been taking yoga mm. and sometimes I don't know where my limit of stretching is. I think I reached my limit, but the instructor is like, boss, you can do it. Right. You know, and he shows me that, oh, I have way more to go. Mm. You know, and I feel that kind of applies um, as someone who's been there, go like, actually, you should try playing, you should try, you know, listen to this, see if you like mm. it. Transcribe this. Yeah. 
you know, um, because these kids sometimes don't know that their limit is far way beyond them. Like they still have a lot more before they reach their limit. Mm. And I think it's also the role of uh, instructors and mentors to go like, oh, I see something, some a certain je ne sais quoi in mm. this person. Um, and yeah, they should definitely explore, you know, other repertoire, all of this. Yeah. Cool. Now, uh, I want to come back to what we were talking about earlier, which is music and text and writing things at musicals and, and operas and things like that. So, yeah, I, I think it's quite clear from the backdrop as well. Plenty of books on, on your shelves. Uh, you are obviously an avid uh, reader. So one personal question for me, that is I'm trying to get into uh, fiction. So I am... Uh, I, I just don't read fiction as, as much and I want to start doing that because I think it, it's important to, to trigger um, some parts of the brain for imagination and then bring it back into real life again and draw these sort of similarities. Um, maybe that's the wrong way to look at it. Do you have any recommendations for me to, to get into? Like, give me three books, I, three titles. I love I love that you asked this question um, and I have a list ready. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> literally last night, Literally last night, I was actually in my room thinking, why don't Singaporeans read too much? They're always non-fiction readers, like Singaporeans in general. Mm. Like it's a need, it, to, and I don't it's mean, the need to improve, right? It's the, always that this pressure to like sort life out exactly. and things like that. Yeah, yeah. And like, oh, I'm gonna read some self-help book. Or I'm gonna read about you know how to save money or whatever it is. <laughs> or like rich dad poor dad. I'm just like, what about you know? In any case, um, our. Oh my god, I would love to be a book doctor, like talk to you. If I could like sit with a person and find out what they need in their life, okay, and then recommend three books or three pieces of music or sing them a song they their heart needs to hear. Mm-hmm. That would be like absolutely my thing. But um off the top of my head, I'm a huge fan of um uh Julian Barnes, um The Noise of Time. The Noise of Time. It's a bit heavy, mm-hmm. but um it's about Shostakovich. Okay. And it's about Shostakovich writing under the power, right? Which we all know who the power is, yeah. you know? And for me, it's even more real than nonfiction because you get into the mind of this guy sitting outside the lift with his toothbrush and his clothing and mm. his suitcase because you don't know when he'll be arrested, mm. right? Um, after, you know, after whatever came on Pravda. Yes. Um, that's one book I'll recommend. Um, geez, it's really tough for me. Um, I'm going to quickly peek right now. Mm. Um, I'm a, I am in love with... Uh, I used to read this guy, Captain Corelli's Mandolin, okay. uh, written by uh, Louis B. Beniers. Um, so that's one of the books I always recommend to people. And the last one, Ian McEwan, Saturday. Uh, it's a book that takes place in one day. So you might want to mm. uh, check. So... Okay. Lots of time, Captain Corelli's Mandolin, Ian McEwan's Saturday, and if you have the time, David Mitchell's Cloud Atlas. Um, oh my god, I'm recommending all white white males. That is really terrible. Right. I, I, that is really bad. Right. Um, uh, yes, yes. Uh, Lee Min Drew's uh, Pachinko. Okay. Uh, Obama's 2019 read, mm. um, summer reading. Absolutely, absolutely recommend it. Okay. Absolutely. It, it talks about Japan-Korean relations um, back in the 40s. Four-generation novel. Wow. 
Yes. Okay. So um, the book is right there. You can't see it. It's in the in the pile. But mm. yeah, I'm happy with my recommendations. Sure. And I I tell you tell you what I'm gonna get to them, and then we we can have a conversation about the books. I, I legitimately can pass to you some of these guys, by the way. Right. So we'll, we'll talk. Sure. I'll tell these guys. Yeah. Sure. Sounds good. Okay. Now let's get into the the compositional side of things, right? So, uh, what what are the challenges when it comes to writing? Uh, music that like songs and, and musicals and operas that consist of text and some of the text that you're using for your musical and your song cycles are they like poems from other people or is it 100% from you? So the musical was uh, from I wrote I wrote the lyrics uh, along with a friend who wrote one song and it um the song cycle is written by Dr. Greeny Sui, mm. um, who wrote The Other Malayan and Friends, which is a collection of poems. Okay. The Other Malayan, right. which is hilarious, which is a fish head with lion body. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So, right. um, so I took five songs from there. And herein lies the, 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 this wonderful challenge. Like Singaporean, the way of speaking, setting it to music, mu- music, 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 uh. you know, like Singaporean, Singaporean way of of speaking, uh. you know, like how do we we don't set it like English music, mm. you know, and that for me was the super fun challenge of getting all these like na 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 na, you know, all these like we our sentences tend to rise, right. um, and this is a very recent phenomenon of people setting music like Singlish to music, mm. um, so that for me is very very fun. Um, and I, I, there's a song that has yet to be released. Uh, it's a I think my friends really love it, and I know I have to release okay. it. Um, I yeah, it's been sung in London and Boston, and I just don't know why. I'm just so lousy at social media. Um, so yeah, that's why I can tell you about text. At least when I was taking a compositional module, it's always yeah. text first, then music. Is that the same process for you as well? Design the text first and set it to music, or music first and then you set the text. They are always almost in conjunction for me if I'm writing something original. Usually the words sometimes go first and I'll go like, mama, mama, you know, I'll, I'll write the music to it. Mm. And then, I mean, of course, the story is very important. If you don't have a good story, you're very screwed. Right. You're very, 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 very screwed mm. uh, for an opera. You need to have something that has high stakes. You need a character that people care about, mm. you know, if the character loses a thing, whatever, yeah. you know, people need to be invested. Mm, like a hero's um, journey sort of thing, right? Exactly. Yeah. And there are many ways of doing yeah. it, you know, that's the self-actualization or whatever mm. it is. Um, so I find that it's very crucial. So maybe in a way, text comes first and then the music can be, you know, they say usually opera, right? For opera, it's 51% music, 49% text. Okay. Right. Yeah. Because the text can just repeat a certain mm. line. Um, I'm hungry, you mm. know, uh, it, it depends on how it's said, you know, it's, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, or like, I'm hungry, I'm uh, hungry, okay. I'm hungry, you know, yeah. whatever, it's like... Yeah, different kind of inflections, right? Yeah. Exactly, right. Yeah, yeah. Right. And uh, so you, you speak with so much um, <laughs> clarity, you know, you speak with so much like ideas about what needs to go into like a, a good opera or a good story. You thought about writing a book yourself? Or have you been like writing on your own, but just yeah, not I am, showing to anybody? Yes. Right. Yeah, I've been. I used to write way more. 
and I want to get back to writing um, much more. Um, I in the army, I wrote a novella, mm. um, and I published it in camp, like on SEF forums, and people will be asking when the next episode will come out. Okay. Um. So I, that that was nice. Yeah. Um. But my personal favorite form is essays. Okay. Like the personal essay. Mm. I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of the personal essay. And I want to explore more of that. Like mm. away from, if I have time away from music, you know, because um, I'm a fan of words, if you can't tell. <laughs> yeah. There's this line from Robert McFarlane that says, language, language is always later. Uh, it's always late for the occasion. That means something happens and then language fills in the, you know, we try to, the language tries to catch up. Someone dies. Mm. We take time to find the words to grieve and it always arrives later. And another imagery that it uses is that of the arrow. To find the right arrow that fastens right onto the target, uh, the right word, mm. you know, so that the, the, the quiver is still quivering. Mm. Um, you know, that for me is very important. Yeah. To attach the right, you know, I'm not feeling jealous. I'm feeling whatever, yeah. like another word, yeah. you know. These things matter to me. Where, where did this interest come from? Is it just through your love for reading over time and then it just developed? Or do you have a, do you know when, when, when it started to really uh, affect you in this way? I can tell that my, from my child, my dad loved reading because my dad saw me very infrequently when I was younger. Now we get to hang out every day. It's great. But every time he would be here in Singapore, he would tell me stories. Mm. And he would go with Enid Blyton stories. And he said the stories with so much modulation and inflection. And I wonder if those were the like, seeds that germinated like, my love for storytelling. Mm. My, my first girlfriend was a huge, uh, sh- huge influence, basically, uh, on literature. Mm. Um, for me, on how I felt about literature. And so I go into Wuthering Heights, you know, I read, say, How It's End by Ian Foster. And I'm like, oh, you know, music and words. And she wrote her literature essay, I remember her sex for literature essay mm. on like music and words, right. you know. Um, and so for me, I think that just, you know, grew inside of me. Mm. Um, and yeah, they both are very important to me. Um, I'm not sure if who is my mistress and who is my wife. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm not sure if literature or music. Sure. Um, because... Yeah, if I wasn't doing music, I would absolutely love to be a literary critic or a poet. Mm, yeah. yeah. And, and I think, you know, a, a lot of times in masterclasses and things like that, we get a, a visiting professor here and or, or someone that is very inspirational. Some Most of the time, they'll mention something about like, oh, you got to tell a story with your music. you got to yeah. uh, do things with your music. you got to make it interesting. got to make it engaging. And of course, the the person that is part, um, you know, the, the student that is getting this new inf- this information, will just will be like, oh, nodding along, and then they try to play more expressively, maybe more dynamics, maybe more contours and things like that. But I don't think you can really capture the essence of storytelling without getting into reading. Yes. Like yeah, that, like telling a story is not purely about creating contours in the lines, right? Yeah. Because yeah, it, it goes way deeper than that. To have like a, a very vivid picture inside the head and to try to convey that through the music is different from saying that, you know, you just got to shape each of your phrase beautifully. Right. I, I'm also kind of not really fully with the 
Because I feel like if professors want to do that, they also need to tell the students how to get there. Mm. They need to equip the students with the tool of like, oh, uh, Don Quixote right now is singing whatever it is. That means the horn part needs to, you need to move all the way to the end of the phrase. I rather that sort of like detail work, you know, instead of saying like, oh, you know, uh, sure, because music is really like, music is obviously one of the most elusive of the muses. Mm. You know, it's, it's really hard to put into words. That's why we're doing, you know, that's why it's so magical. Uh, but words, it's everything is there. Um, so I almost see that as two separate things, mm. right? Um, so you could have read the whole Cervantes novel, but it doesn't mean that you can play the Don Quixote in the Strauss, like, amazingly, mm. right? It's like two separate yeah, but things. But so you got to connect the dots, right, in a way, right? You yes. got to, yeah, you got to draw that. Absolutely. Yeah. You got to have the imagination to connect sound worlds and text and then put them together. Right. 100%. I, I mean, I pounded the table at this because right. like that is the final, like you can have knowledge, you can have like information, but the knowledge comes like when you're sitting at the toilet bowl and you're like, oh shit. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, like, literally. <laughs> but like you're connecting things like, oh, that means the sound needs to be not so real. I need to play flautando here. Mm. You know, because it's Hamlet's father who is a ghost or whatever it is. Mm. You know, you need to have that sort of connection and read and go like, oh my God, there's a lot of irony. Like, the characters in Shakespeare are overhearing themselves. I mean, so that's, and that's like two different ways of like telling a story, right? Whether characters go through their own development through overhearing that what they're saying mm. to the audience. How does that relate to music, you know? Like, it's all these little connections. Maybe they don't connect. Maybe they don't. Mm. You know, maybe Pecking Duck has more relationship to the cello, <laughs> you know? But you just have to like sort of sit down and critically... Yeah. And anyway, coming back to like where we are, it's like, do we have the space to do that here? Mm. Do kids here have the information? Do they have the, you know, instead of thinking about how to earn money, you know, do they get a chance to think about Ophelia? Are, are the kids here having enough time to imagine, mm. uh, to stop and try to critically think, you know? For sure. For sure. I think that definitely. I think, you know, it, th- this is not just for musicians, right? This is for any sort of, young persons that's developing right you can go on to do whatever you want but to have that opportunity at a stage in your life to have that space to just think yes yeah would inform you the way you're going to design your life in the future i think absolutely Uh, and if i might say one last thing it's like (laughs) you know Lee Kuan Yew said there's no space there's no time for poetry here and it's kind of true in boston I could write pieces. I wrote a lot of the piece, uh, a lot of my pieces, uh, Sigina, mm. uh, Night Bazaar, 118, 1819, yeah. on public transport. Mm, okay. I wrote a lot of it away. I, I have my notebook with me mm. and I write my melodies. I walk around. My God, you can't do that here because there the jams are so bad <laughs> and like the infrastructure is so bad. I don't even have 10 minutes here on the, I'm like instantly at my destination. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, um, and I found that always so funny. I'm like, oh, now I got blue line. Ah. Oh my God, take the boogies half an hour. Easy. We got time for first right. motive. Exactly. <laughs> like, I have no time to think about, oh, you yeah, know. Exactly. Anyway. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's been such a wonderful chat, uh, Jonathan. I think, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it has. <laughs> You've been listening the whole time. Right. Sorry. No, no, no. It, it's great. I think to, to pick your brain and to, to hear you sharing so generously. Right. Before I let you go, uh, any one advice, statement, ethos, guiding principle, whatever it is that you would like to share with listeners who are just kind of working at their craft and just navigating this whole whole music thing, what do you have to say to them? 
create your own games when practicing. Mm. If you're doing an octave leap and it's tough, make it fun. So, so, fuck, I can't get it. Now my so, so, me, me, do, do, re, re. You know, like, just think of creative ways of repeating the same exercise. And so you're engaging many things. One, you're, of course, the somatically, you're getting the octave. Uh, secondly, psychologically, you're like, oh, this is fun. You're rewarding yourself. And thirdly, you are also thinking of ways to improvise. You're thinking, oh, how can this be an etude? Make your own etudes. Um, and that's an advice, one of the many, many advices I would give. But I think for, for now, that would be lovely. Mm. Yeah. Well, I just want to say you are a great interviewer. You've done your research. And I'm really, really happy to talk to you today. Um, it, it's been so fulfilling and so good to always you know, talk out loud just so that I can clarify my own thoughts. Mm. Because, you know, yeah, and you, you're doing an excellent job. I love what you're doing. Um, and I, when I, I remember when I saw this podcast coming, I'm like, oh, like, this is really amazing. Someone's out there is like interested and like critically asking and thinking and you listen to your pieces and before you talk. And I love that. Yeah. So thank you so much for what you're doing yeah. for the community. No problem. No problem at all. I mean, th this is a list that I can do to, for, for my guests, you know, you guys take time out to, to speak to me and that's really precious. And, you know, when you, the, the least that I could do is to, you know, do, do some work read up about you guys you. And, and understand more and ask the important questions, right? Because yes. yeah, <laughs> uh, oftentimes, you know, you and I, we've not met before, but yeah. we just feel like we exist in like uh, two, two separate worlds. Yeah, exactly, yeah. right? So having this yeah. opportunity to just like connect and, and speak to yes. each other and understand each other. Yeah, and the, the perception that we have of each other beforehand would be like, yes. you know, it could be completely different yeah. 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 So fantastic. Thank you so much, Jonathan. Yeah. And likewise, for me, it, it's been such a joy uh, speaking to you. And thank you very much for your sharing. Um, we'll wrap up here. And thank you so much for all of you listening. Uh, thank you for staying with us throughout this episode. And most importantly, thank you for your attention. It is very much appreciated. And with that, we will sign off on this episode of You Play a What. You have been listening to You Play a What hosted by Vincent Tan. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit the subscribe button so that you'll be notified when a new episode is posted. Rate and review the podcast and share it with your friends if you feel so inclined. The theme music for the podcast is entitled Midnight Affairs and is composed by Algirdas Matonis and recorded by Vincent Tan. Thank you so much for listening to You Play What. Until next time. Thank you.